0: Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scott Gaspo. I know it doesn't look like it, uh, you know, looking outside the window, but uh, we have. Uh, we have kind of jumped into the spring sports schedule for Northwestern. Um,
1: can we, can we possibly jump any harder into spring sports <laughs> than we are right now?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, baseball and softball have both gotten, uh, underway. Um, obviously you're not going to see them on campus until way later in the season. Um, and lacrosse has gotten started, yeah, you know, off to a, a really nice start and, you know, playing those games inside the, uh, the palace that is the Ryan Fieldhouse. Um, a couple huge games for the Cats, uh, lacrosse. Um, so we're going to talk a little lacrosse, so a little baseball softball, and then because I, not like we're contractually obligated to or anything, but, uh, we, we probably should mention a little something about, uh, b- basketball, um, as much as we would rather not, uh, gotta give it its shrift. But, uh, before we go down that road, um, let's talk a little lacrosse. I mean, the start of the season has been awesome for the cats. Uh, you know, culminating with just an amazing game over the over this past weekend uh, against Duke. Um, game that was just back and forth the whole way. Uh, cats ended up winning that game twenty-one twenty after holding Duke scoreless for the last seven. Minutes sixteen seconds, um, just a great defensive effort, uh, some clutch goals, and uh, able to just hold on for dear life in, you know, in the last thirty seconds or so of the game. Um, but that was that was a hell of a game. Absolutely, I think you know really
1: exciting. I, it's great to see to the start of this year. You're talking two. Exciting games, although the Duke game being more exciting than the Dartmouth game, which the Cats had pretty strong control of from the beginning, but you're talking about this immaculate venue. We joked, but only half joking really, about Northwestern lacrosse having the two best lacrosse fields in the country. That's probably true. Um, And then the question becomes, which is the better lacrosse field? The Cats indoor field or the Cats outdoor field? Because they're both gorgeous and they both look out at Lake Michigan. But this was uh, exciting lacrosse played in a top flight venue. In the case of, you know, it's, it's funny to juxtapose this team with the powers. You could argue, right? I mean, obviously we know football pays the bills, but you could argue that those swank digs that the the ladies currently share with the football team are at least in part built on a platform of ridiculous national championship excellence of years gone by. And this team is not one of those teams, at least to start in that it's beating everybody up. But what this team is doing is beating good teams in exciting fashion. Um, It's an exciting team and it's an exciting young team. Um, I think the easiest place for us to start probably is Lauren Gilbert, who I think is only a sophomore. Um, and it, it's funny because in some ways that makes her an elder statesman when you look at a lot of the power plant of this team, especially with Selena Lasota being hurt, at least for right now. Um, but it's they're getting a lot of goals from a lot of young players. And they were down at the half. They were down three goals, or they are down two goals relatively late. And scored the final three to pick up a major win over a top twenty-five Duke team. So yeah, this is an exciting group for sure.
2: Well, and the the scoring rate that you mentioned, John, I, I, this offense feels more potent than what we saw last year. We've already seen a couple top teams, so um, maybe the defenses will get better down the down the stretch. But it feels like we've got enough sample size here to say that 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 maybe there's something to that. Of course, the big you know the big question mark going forward with Selena Lasota's injury during the Dartmouth game she missed all the Duke game. What does that mean for this team? Um, obviously this Duke game was super close. Uh, Kelly Muty Hiller talked a lot about how it gave some other you know some other players an, a lot of opportunity to step up. Uh, in addition to you know John DeGilbert, Gilbert you talked about Lindsay McCone uh, scored the game winner she had a couple other ones. Um, I, you know to put up 21 goals against a top 20, 25 team like Duke without your best offensive player is uh, pretty excellent. On top of that, you know, down the stretch of this game, Northwestern was down I think as many as 3 goals in the last uh 5 to 8 minutes. Maybe it was only they were down 2 a couple times, but really created a ton of of turnovers and that that defensive pressure is the piece that was most missing last year. Uh, and it's pretty exciting to see these things emerge. Uh it feels like and, and we we talked about this you know, last I guess summer, um, coming off of what what a quarterfinal exit or a semifinal exit in the in the tournament, we talked about how the recruiting class at Northwestern had signed was possibly the best they've had in five years. We talked about how it felt like, especially with Lesota coming back, that this team maybe had had a chance to go on a little bit of a run, and we're seeing some of the kernels of that. So, you know, obviously it's a tough schedule. They got Syracuse, number fifteen, Syracuse coming up this weekend, the big on the road too. Ooh. Yeah. On the road. Is that, will that be in the carrier doom? Um, I think so. Ugh. Watch, watch out for the HVAC. Um, yeah, right. But regardless, like that's, you know, big 10 season hasn't even started yet. Obviously that, that conference is getting tougher and tougher. Maryland, of course, being the, um, uh, the, the main opponent to Northwestern breaking through for a big 10 championship. So, you know, exciting yeah, plus, times ahead.
0: Plus, we got plus we got games against number one BC, number two North Carolina coming up in the early part of March.
2: Yep, yep. So I mean, and and this is not unusual, right? Like the team usually plays a lot of highly ranked squads throughout the course of the regular season before they even get to the tournament. But I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that we're seeing some kernels of uh, I'll say improvement relative to the last couple seasons, and that this this team might have a chance to go on a little bit deeper of a run uh, as we get to tourney time.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, you talked about that amazing freshman class. I think, what, like something like five or six freshmen scored against Duke. Um, You had another handful of goals, I think three or four come from sophomores. Um, And if that's not a championship team, it's certainly the foundation of a championship team. And I think these are all names we're going to get very familiar with over the next couple of years. Um, And it'll be interesting to see what kind of run they're able to go on starting this year.
0: Yeah, so as you mentioned, um, Syracuse coming up this weekend, uh, then heading on the road the next day to Buffalo, New York, to take on Kinesias. Um You know that that takes us to the end of February. Uh, like I said, start off March in Chapel Hill to take on North Carolina. Uh, coming home the next weekend to play Boston College in Ryan Fieldhouse. Everyone, uh, just
2: circle March ninth on your calendar right now. We'll wait. Yeah, go circle it. Yeah. Get that's your butt a- up to Ryan Field house 7 p.m uh, that's gonna be a hopefully a top five matchup.
1: It's hard to imagine a better reason if you haven't already seen the, the palace on the lake this would be the perfect time to go see it
0: um, major matchup um, in a beautiful venue And then you know going on um, Rutgers Marquette and then back to for some home games to for the back half of the season. Um so yeah lacrosse La off to a great start uh, as i mentioned earlier uh, baseball and softball also underway um softball has gotten off to an, a great start of their own starting the year 7 and 2 overall um you know going to Fullerton California for a tournament um then the Big 10 ACC challenge uh where they you know beat Louisville beat uh, they beat Louisville twice they split uh two with North Carolina so, um, yeah, it's starting off really, really well, uh, putting up some runs too, uh, especially in, like big 10 ACC challenge, you know, it beat Louisville nine, eight, uh, North Carolina nine three. They lost five, nothing to North Carolina the next day, uh, before coming back to beat Louisville, uh, for the second time, four to two. So, you know, softball off to a, a real nice, solid start. And the pitching depth, uh, looks to be really,
2: really strong this year. So, um the cats will hope, hopefully be able to ride that uh, a long way. I think the you know the last the last time I remember them in the in the college softball world series they had two really dominant starters and that again you know l- looking for these kernels early in the season of of uh that that might indicate the ability to to match past performance. That's um that's an exciting development.
1: Yeah, we talked about women's lacrosse and not just the the strength of the team but the youth you are really seeing that reflected in a big way, um, looking at the, you know, at least the offense of the softball team. Um, Nikki Cuckran and Jordan Rudd are both freshmen, and they are just on tears right now. Cuckran's batting .423, um, six fifteen slugging percentage, uh, and seven RBIs. And somehow Rudd may even be more impressive. She's also, uh, you know, a, I guess, catcher. They list her as catcher slash utility. Batting two ninety with 14 RBIs and two home runs uh, and four doubles. So these are young cats that are just slamming it right now. So, again, it's not just that the team is good right now. It's
0: like this looks really good for the future. Well, and also looking really good for the future uh, is pitcher Danielle Williams, also a freshman, uh, right now, nine games into the season, she has a record of six and zero with a 0.81 ERA. Um, just pitching lights out, 41 strikeouts on the year, uh, in 34.2 innings. So she, she's a freshman on, on that way as well. So she's, she looks to be the workhorse on the, in the circle. I guess it's not on the mound in softball, but, uh, she's the workhorse and, you know, she's young too. It's great.
1: This team is, it's, I'm loving, it just warms my heart with everything we've been having to deal with to, uh, to just think, oh, well, at least spring sports, at least the ladies have it figured out in the spring. Teams with, with youth,
0: strength, depth, wonderful. Um, and, you know, speaking of balls, sports played on diamonds, uh, let's not give short shrift to baseball, who's also got started. Uh, they're two and two on the year. Um they had a three game series against BYU, uh going one and two there. Uh then uh, losing or they beat Cal uh just the other day, uh nine to five. Uh they're heading out for a three game series at Duke and then to Atlanta to take on Georgia Tech, uh before coming home. March fifth, they got a game in Evanston against UIC before hitting back on the road uh, to take <laughs> on Missouri and Kent State. So they're they're gonna they're gonna test the waters on that uh, early March home game in uh, in yeah. baseball.
1: That is some distance learning that is going to be going on there. I know this happens every year with baseball and softball, but uh, man, what a travel schedule! By the time they get back uh, to Evanston in late March, they are going to be uh, well traveled, to say the least.
2: Well, and unlike the softball team, I feel like baseball was pretty young a couple years ago. And now players like Jack Dunn and Willie Bourbon are seniors. Um, still, you know, a, a young coaching coaching staff, and Spencer Allen. I think this is his second year. Uh, lead, oh, sorry, no, fourth year leading the season, lead, leading the team. But um, point being, this is a squad that is, I think, hoping to make some noise now that they've had some time for for guys to mature and uh, have kind of navigated the the coaching changeover that happened four years ago. So. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how things play out for them. And to your to your points, guys, Cam Green may be graduated, but the quarterback who was
1: throwing him all those touchdown passes at Stevenson High School, Willie Bourbon, still a wildcat, still with
0: a little something to play for. Well, I uh, guess you do need to talk a little hoops. Um, start off with the ladies. Uh, you know, last we spoke uh, they had a couple couple losses to Maryland and Minnesota. Um, they came back to beat Penn State seventy eight sixty three before losing a close one to Purdue sixty one fifty eight game that you know they really kind of needed in in order to I guess bolster their resume. I mean that that's that's a game that you know you'd like to win. Um, well, obviously every game you'd like to win, but That one, I think, you know, we were right next to them in the standings. Um, You know, a a win over Purdue would have really helped the resume.
2: They're the bubble team from the Big Ten above us um, when you look at things like RPI and whatnot. And yeah, this was, this really stung. It's the second to three point loss to Purdue this season. We lost at home to them by three earlier in the year. And it was, I think, I think the Cats, again, you know, late, it was really tight and, they hit a shot and we missed a three to tie it. This game ended the same way. Uh, there's some details I want to get into as we go here, but this was uh, this is a gut punch. I don't I don't think that they're out of um, they're out of contention for an NCAA berth yet. They they play uh, they have three games left on the schedule. Two of them, Nebraska and at Iowa, uh, are both reasonably good enough teams. If they beat Nebraska and then Presumably they got to beat Indiana as well, but but the big one is number sixteen Iowa. Knock off number sixteen Iowa at Iowa, that gives them a shot uh, to to be in the conversation, assuming that they win their first round game in the Big Ten tournament, and that will be no no easy trick. But um, they're not you know they're not dead yet. Uh,
1: one so one interesting thing about um, the. The women's team, you know, relative to the men's team where we're going to pivot in a second is, um, Lindsay Pulliam, who we've certainly talked about before is going, you know, she's kind of doing a Russell Westbrook impersonation out there. Um, she's, you know, we've talked about it, that she's probably our best player, um, especially, you know, as things currently stand. Um, but she's put up, uh, what, 46 shots in the last two games and, Mm -hmm. Her shooting percentage has not been great, um, but it it hasn't been awful either. It's just an amazing amount of usage, um, and clearly, you know, she's feeling the pressure to try to, you know, put the team on her back and do as much as she can. Um, And she's young. She's incredibly talented, and I think it's to the point now where, in these tight games, she's trying to will the team to win, and... She was, I think, eight for twenty-one against Purdue, zero for two from three-point land, and you know it's the kind of thing where you we've talked about it before with Vic Law, but it's much more true with Polium. I mean, if if she's on and she's dominant, we can really play with anybody. Um, but it's a lot of pressure to put on a player, especially a player who's a sophomore, even though she was a, a major recruit.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, I you know, I, I wanted to get into the the fourth quarter of that game, which which I watched the Cats. Um... Entered the fourth quarter with, uh, I believe, a small lead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. They entered the fourth quarter tied. And it was the lowest scoring quarter for the Cats of the game. Purdue's defense really suffocated down on Pulliam, um, denying her space, denying her the ball. The refs, I thought, were particularly hard on her on both ends of the court. But she still managed just two two really spectacular plays. Just uh, a, a slashing drive to the lane. Uh, on one on one play and then the other one was uh her game tying shot where the cats created a turnover uh, it was uh i believe sydney wood uh who, who who played really great in this game filling in for jordan hamilton who got er- injured in the first half so uh wood creates the turnover the cats had i want to say a three on one and of course got the bull to pull him and she just she pulled up for a a 15 footer drills it um to, to tie the game with uh, with seconds left resulting of course in the improbable um, absurd three-point shot that Purdue hit um, their three-point specialist, I think had nine on that night it was a new record it was uh, she was she was just unconscious from three but it was interesting to watch because obviously, John, you just talked about it, right? Like Pulliam dominates the offense. That's what we want her to do. You talked last week on the pod about she's a four-star recruit. This is what you expect a four-star recruit to do when they come in uh, to a program is to is to be the top dog and to, to take over. Um, and she, you know she's our leading scorer by far, et cetera, et cetera. It was interesting to see Purdue really focus on her and shut her down and you know, where those, those points went to. Um, so Pal- uh, palace, uh, uh, in the, you know, as, as our center was doing good work against, uh, was a pretty strong Purdue front court, Abby Scheid. Uh, I think, I think I saw her, she was four of six from three. Um, she obviously missed what would have been uh, a game tying three pointer at the very, very end. It rimmed out. And then, but without Jordan Hamilton on the floor, uh we didn't really have another scorer i think um wood was more of a of a defensive specialist um you had uh you had 7 points from veronica burton but again the cats were just you know maybe maybe one player shy so ho- hopefully uh, hamilton is able to get healthy and get back on the floor they're really going to need her uh certainly come that iowa game but um but that's the story right now i mean the cats got out to a lead and then just couldn't hang on
1: it's It's funny, you know, these margins are are so narrow um, and in terms of the Purdue game, potentially meaning so much. But now the Cats, I think, are playing Nebraska and Indiana back-to-back, two teams that they beat by relatively narrow margins earlier in the year. They're going to need to beat them again. Um, You know, to your point earlier, I it is true that certainly, especially with a deep tourney run, um, the Cats could play their way into the NCAA the NIT, I would say, is a more realistic and very realistic option. And were the Cats to beat Nebraska and Indiana, take that loss on the road to Iowa, they'd finish the year, what, 17 and 12 overall, but 10 and 8 in the Big Ten. And I kind of feel like with that resume and any kind of result in the tournament, maybe one win uh, would most likely punch their ticket to the NIT. So. Um, you know, only three games left, but still, just a ton to play for in terms of postseason possibilities.
0: Yeah, and and the in uh, the Big Ten tournament's going to be huge. Um, you know, right now we're right in the middle of the pack. Um, I, I think we're probably not in a position to get a double by, but uh, we're also definitely not going to be playing on night one. Uh, so we'll have we'll have to see. Like like you said, um, this week is is big. Uh, Nebraska and then Indiana and Iowa to, to round out the season before hitting the uh, big 10 tournament. So um definitely hoping for great things from the ladies down the stretch. Um, speaking of down the stretch, I guess, you know, as we pivot to talk about the men who have been just playing pretty rough down the stretch. Yeah, it's ugly. <laughs> um, six, six in a row in the L column. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, lost you know lost just a heartbreaker to Iowa, and then came back to lose another close one to Rutgers, um, before going to Nebraska and just kind of falling apart. I mean, I, I can't really put my finger on what's going on. I mean, earlier in the season it was we couldn't finish games, but the, the Nebraska game it was close middle of second half, and then we just sort of stopped scoring at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, I. It, To my, and I'll be honest, I didn't watch a lot of that game, Um, uh, uh, the shooting has been bad. That has allowed defenses to collapse down on Pardon and really suffocate him. This has been Chris Collins' uh, explanation, I might add, is that we've got to make more shots because uh, Pardon is boxed in, and we need to do that to open things up. I think there's a couple other elements going on. Obviously, we've talked ad nauseum about the lack of a point guard and what that you know prevents us from being able to do in terms of uh, of driving and dishing and uh, X, Y, and Z. But the other thing at this stage, and Sam, to your point of, of just kind of a bit of a shoulder shrug now now versus what we saw several weeks ago, I mean, I think, I think these guys are probably just running out of gas, running out of motivation, and you saw in the Nebraska game they started settling for shots settling for jump shots and when you're a team that's not when you're not a great jump shotting jump when you're not a great jump shooting team you have to grind and you have to push and if you settle for jump shots and you don't hit those jump shots it's not going to turn out well and that's that's where we're at
1: yeah it's i mean it's really rough you could certainly argue that this is about the worst offensive team in the country right now we have like five of the last six games. Five of the games of the six. If you so, if you take out the Iowa game, and Iowa is a weird team. Iowa is probably the most overrated team in the country right now. They're a top twenty team, basically winning by act of God right now. Um, if well, you... well, their their, def, their
2: defense is is bottom. I think quarter right. of the Big Ten.
1: Right, and they. Sh- I mean, by all accounts they we gave them a win and then they beat rutgers the game after in a game that i don't even they're they hit a game-winning shot that basically went off the side of the backboard and in um and so i mean it's it's like good on iowa that they've won those and they're certainly ranked i think they only have five losses but that was they're not a particularly i mean they're an overrated team and if you take that game out The other five games on this streak, we're scoring barely over 50 points a game, which is just, I mean, atrocious. It doesn't get much worse than that. The Nebraska game, you guys, you know, you didn't watch it down the stretch. I was unfortunate enough to watch it down the stretch. The numbers don't even really do it justice. Um, There was one play where I don't know if it was Law or it was Turner. We were just at the top of the key trying to start the offense. Guy at the top of the key turns and just fires a pass over to over to the right to a guy who's just walking away and not looking at the ball, and the ball just sailed out of bounds. Um, and then it was difficult to fi- It's it's difficult to find a better metaphor uh, or visual image that sums up this season than Aaron Falzone going in for a layup late in the game having it being spike blocked about as hard as I've seen a shot blocked into AJ Turner's face, ricocheting off AJ Turner's face down court. So Nebraska could have a breakaway layup. Um, it's, it's just, we're hitting rock bottom offensively right now. And to your point, because this is a good defensive team, but it's gotta be a good defensive team that is just clinging to threads of a will to win at this point. Um, This is it's brutal. We're definitely flirting with being the worst team in the Big Ten right now. Penn State has a worse overall record, but they've notched a win over Michigan, uh, which is far bigger than, you know, whatever the biggest Northwestern win is right now. So, um, boy, the the Aaron Falzone game is way, way in the mirror at this point. And and uh, we're kind of having to take stock as of, of this being one of the worst Wildcat seasons in recent memory.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that and, you know, we've been kind of thinking just kind of, you know, even just the past eight years since we've been doing this podcast, trying to remember, you know, where kind of and, you know, we we can't really put this argument to bed until the season's over, but just kind of where it stands right now, Um, you know, as, at least as far as the Big Ten record goes, um, you know, non-con, we didn't really have any any quality wins. We didn't have too many quality games either, but um, you know, just where, where to you guys? Where does this rank in you know terms of seasons that we've been seeing since we've uh, been doing this podcast? Yeah, it's I mean
1: the only one that is really comparable at this point. And you're right, Sammy, um, that you know there's still some basketball yet to be played, but it's hard not to draw parallels to the 2012-2013 season, Bill Carmody's last season here. Um, for a couple of different reasons. One, just... The, we're on the middle of a six-game win streak right now. That team lost, I believe, its last nine you mean, games. You mean
2: a six-game a six losing a streak? A six-game losing streak, I'm sorry.
1: We're uh, on a six-game losing streak right now. That 2012-2013 team lost its last nine games of the conference season. Um, yeah. Won a game against Purdue and then went out into the desert. And that sort of feels like where we are right now. And if you look at some of the numbers... Um, if It doesn't seem possible, but that offense was, at least for several games, worse. We had three consecutive games where we scored 41, 41, and 43 points, which, as bad as things have been, it hasn't been that bad. Well, and,
2: hold, on, hold on. The stats guy is going to quibble a little bit because those Carmody teams did that on purpose, right? True. They played at the pace of molasses.
1: For sure, for sure. So there is that caveat also, but... Um, but it was it was rough, and it certainly is is if not already where this season is, where it certainly could finish up. There are little things too. Um, well, but
2: before you jump in, because I know sure. where I know where you want to go, and and, mm-hmm. and I want to get there as well. But the one other thing I think is wor- that's worth pointing out about twenty twelve thirteen is that Drew Crawford only played the first ten games of that season. It would be as if it would be that would be the equivalent of like Vic Law having gone down with injury and been unavailable for the entire Big Ten season and we're
0: still three and eleven right now. Um and, and that that that's what's weird about this season is like you can't really point to an injury that, you know, kind of sabot the you know, submarine the season like you le- could back in 12 uh, twelve thirteen. Unless you look at Latham. Right, yeah exactly and, and the point unless guard, right? The point guard we never had, exactly. Um well, that that's not losing someone in the middle of the season. True. That's for sure. That's losing someone before the season started. I right. it, it,
2: it it would lead me to argue should this trajectory continue that this would be the worst season of the Westlot Pirates era for sure <laughs> um,
1: it's you know there are a couple there's another kind of weird parallel um you could easily draw a parallel between uh Jared Sw- Jared Swapshire in the twenty th- 2012 2013 season and Ryan Taylor this season um, these one year grad transfer players in these kind of lost seasons um where you know it's like blink if you miss them and in the case of swapshire he was a guy who had played on a national championship team in the case of taylor he was a guy who had poured in buckets of points for evansville um, and i still contend has an amazing stroke he just has doesn't have the ability to create his own shot and doesn't have anyone on our team who can create one for him um, Well,
2: one both were expected to be you know kind of big fill-ins for offensive departures in that Swapshire. I mean, he wasn't billed as a, as a huge scorer, but knowing that we had lost um John Sherna, he thought, "Okay, well maybe Crawford can pick up some of the scoring that Sherna is uh that we lost from Sherna and maybe Swapshire can be the the Crawford to Crawford the way Crawford was to Sherna if that right. makes any sense and then right. similarly with Ryan Taylor it's trying to replace Scotty Lindsay's points um you know he he averaged almost 20 a game for Northwestern last year and n- nobody's come close i mean Vic Law has done good things but um that's yeah, a huge still five,
0: Law's still 5 points a game behind Lindsay from last year
2: yeah
1: yeah right um I, you know i guess if you were looking to find a silver lining um that 2012 2013 team um, did have as freshmen um, Sanjay Lumpkin, Om, um, Alex Ola, and Trey Dempse. and so, Reggie and Reggie Hearn as a junior, and, and Reggie Hearn is a junior. Um, but with the youngest guys, U- USA basketball's star Reggie right, Hearn. That's right. Um, but in the case of the freshmen, right, those are guys who basically ended up forming the core of the team. That was basically, you know, I guess you could almost say the team before the team, the team that started the Chris Collins era, built the foundation. Um, and in the case of Lumpkin, a guy who, you know, he bridged the entire gap. He started at four and fourteen um, and finished his career four years later on an NCAA tournament team. So um, you would you'd hope that a guy like Pete Nance could someday say, you know, with the same kind of development and and you know, they're radically different players. Um, but Lumpkin was a guy who we didn't really know what he was bringing to the table uh, as a freshman was not that big of a recruit and then totally found his lane and, and did it with defense and became one of the best defensive players in the conference and an absolutely vital player on a championship team four years later. And you know, that could happen with any of these freshmen. They were all big recruits um, and there's another big crop, you know, crop coming in next year. So if you're looking for something to hang your hat on, that's it. But, but, Beyond that all the other parallels are negative and it could be that this team finds it down the stretch um, and we we end the season if not with anything to play for this year with some hope for next year but um, it is also very popu- very possible that we could be looking at the same kind of page turning year um, in in 2018 nineteen as we were looking at in
0: 2012 thirteen and I'm, I'm interested to hear I was thinking about this earlier just trying to think about you know why this season kind of went through the you know went off the rails as much as it did, and it's like you know you think about the the hangover from the NCAA run two years ago, and you know last year playing at uh, at Allstate and just like the complete weirdness of last year, and you gotta I, part of me wonders like did they just think that coming back to their own home, coming back to Welsh Ryan, you know this new palace that was gonna be the difference. That was gonna be enough? I wonder. Is this still a little bit of hangover from the from the NCAA run two years ago? I I would be I'd be hesitant
2: to chalk it up to that. I think your point about expecting a boost from from venue is a pretty good one. I could I could buy that that they thought they'd be better and they thought that they'd have more juice um i i'll throw one other thing into the mix and, and we've we've mentioned it briefly a couple times on the pod but that's the all the departures of assistants sure yeah absolutely I, so yes yeah, so, i mean the one other thing i throw out is you've got some weirdness with assistant coach departures right um and we had a couple of big ones so you've got armand gates who Went to, I forget where he went, and then that didn't work out. And then he ended up as a, he ended up as a, maybe even like a demotion (laughs) level assistant at Nebraska. There's something goofy and weird going on there, maybe something related to the Vassar stuff. I don't know. But the bigger one is Patrick Baldwin, uh, who left to go be the head coach at Milwaukee. And of course, you know, everybody's really excited for him, but he was, he was a huge, uh, a huge piece of the program, Um, a guy that had, had played at Northwestern back in the day. Um, and was really good at in, in involved with developing the big men. So I, you know, anytime you have staff changes and and shakeups, um, that can certainly have an unintended consequences and impacts. And then you layer in the Latham thing, you layer in the Taylor thing, you layer in whatever injury law has been nursing uh, or was nursing in January and early February. And I don't know. I the the one of the, this is a half baked idea. But I've kind of had it rattling around my my brain. I mentioned it on Twitter a couple of weeks back too. But the idea that the staff is running before they're able to walk, like coming out of that NCAA championship year last year, why not get Isaiah Brown more involved with the team? Why not get him more minutes? Why put him at risk to transfer and leave? And now you're so you're so devoid of players in the backcourt. And then even this year, why not play Barrett Benson more? What do you have to lose? Like, let's get this guy involved. Let's develop him. Or let's play him in parting together. Or, or Nance, I would. I would kind of well, say. Na- well, Nance thing. has mono, Nance had right?
0: mono. Oh, true. But um, but I mean, you, you talk about Benson. You know, what's what I just realized. And I was you know looking at it. It's like he's a junior. Oh yeah. Like next next year, like the Barrett Benson era has just been. So quiet, and, you know. we were really hoping that he'd be able to, you know, play next to Pardon and, and have that kind of impact. But you know, it, it's been just like that. Sh- that really surprised me. It, it, I didn't realize that you know, he's a junior now. Well I, well, I understand how it's happened, right?
2: Because you come into the year, and we we talked about this before the season started. Over the summer, we talked about the possibility to play Twin Towers. And to play Benson and Pardon at the same time, um, especially because of how much of a matchup disaster Pardon is for for an opposing four, uh, what what you see coming into the year, then you lose Ivanaskus who who leaves the program. Now you don't have any depth behind Pardon and Benson. They're both foul prone, so now you start to get nervous about playing them together. And then the moment, like whenever you take out. Parton and put in Benson, the offense dries up. So now you feel like, "Oh gosh, well we can't play Benson. We got to keep Parton out there." But it just it feels like that mentality only makes sense when you're thinking you're making marginal decisions to try and get yourself over the hump to hit 20 wins and go to the NCAA tournament. When you're sitting at 3 and 11, like, "Shit, guys, let's try some stuff, right?" Well, and that's I think that's the the big it, it makes me wonder if the staff is either they think that it's there's an impact to recruiting or or they're worried about getting criticized or or something like there's some sort of pressure maybe it's the pressure of being back in the home gym and all the seat licenses that people had to pay for the season tickets etc i it just it feels like there's some sort of external pressure that is has resulted in this um, What I'm perceiving, and again, this is half-baked, but what I'm perceiving as kind of like short-sighted decision-making last year and this year.
1: Well, to kind of piggyback off the back of that, right? Um, There's some real writing on the wall relative to personnel here, right? Because if everything you're saying is true, right, and you do need to start spinning it forward, it would seem that you would want to be getting as many minutes as possible to the only true point guard on the roster, and that's Ryan Greer. And he's played six minutes combined in the Rutgers and Nebraska game. And it's hard not to look at that and think if if now when clearly there'd be more impetus to be playing him than ever, at least to get the development, um, and we're not playing him, that means he's not ready. And if he's not ready, we have zero point guards on this team and zero on the incoming recruiting class. And, no, we have uh, we no, have, no, no. We have Bowie, right? Bowie. Bowie, but Bowie is not thought of as a point guard. He's a guard. But again, it's like so is Gaines. Um what we need is a ball handler. Um it's funny to look at to look at Lathan's stats right now. Um Lathan's playing for a really bad UTEP team, but he's leading them in assists. He's fourth in scoring, and he's second in blocks. Um and he has a lot of turnovers too. Um, although again, this is a bad team. So I think he, I say a lot of turnovers and he's still, I think, only third on the team in turnovers. But he's, I think, wishing as much as we are wishing that he was on this team where he would have more to work with. Um, and I do believe with guys like Law, Taylor, um, and especially Pardon. Um, it's, it's a, it's one guy away. It's one ball. A Bryant McIntosh would make all the difference in the world to a team like this. And I think it's, you're right. I mean, maybe, maybe it will be Bowie. Um, if it is, I mean, that's a heck of a lot to put on him coming in. Um, he's not the biggest recruit in this class, but there, it, you know, you want to say that it's Greer because he's a true point guard. He's available right now, but he's not getting the minutes. Um and at a time when it would sure seem like you would want to be giving him the minutes. So um that's the big that to me is the single biggest issue. I mean, I agree with what you're saying about the the coach's scus, but I'm just like this team is evidence that you need all five positions. You can't, you know,
2: you can try to game it, but but I just we're missing that guy. Well, here's the thing though. We railroaded Johnny Vastor out of the program. You're going to get we, no
1: argument here from me we, on any of this. We
2: basically put Isaiah Brown on the bench last year and said, yeah, you know, we, we've we got this kid coming in to run our point. We don't, we don't like that you're a, that you're a heavy shooting point guard. Um, yada yada. Like, I, I get it that we're a player away. <laughs> Yeah, no. I, I, I would argue that the coaches have made short-sighted decisions that have put them in this situation to be a player away. You'll, you'll get no argument here, by the way. Right. Friend.
1: None. none. <laughs> and, and you know, the Latham thing, we're never going to know exactly what happened, um, and that means we're never going to know the degree of culpability of, of the coaching staff. And that's not to say that there is any, but it's to say that, you know, we can't help but lump Latham in as one more guy who it could be out there but is not. Um, and right. And so, I mean, this is a team that, again, I keep saying the the transfer market is probably going to be yielding us a guard, um, who will be on the roster next year. Um, I don't like this habit of bringing in guys who are only on the program for one year. I don't think that's a way to build a program, but it could be a situation where it's, it's that or bust. So well,
0: well, I mean that, that, that's I sure... a great, It's a great way to build a program if that one year is their freshman year. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you this: Fair. I sure as shit hope that
2: Ryan Greer doesn't transfer because of of lack of playing time. Yeah, I mean, I, like I don't, I don't, I don't foresee. I have no reason to foresee that, but it's it's starting to become a little bit of a pattern. And again, like we're basically playing like like six dudes a night. We're, Ryan, we're not winning these games. Those minutes to go around, folks. I am. I am.
1: I mean, you've got to wonder. Right, Greer could be saying, "I could be a senior in high school right now, putting up twenty to thirty points a night, and deciding where I was going to play college basketball next year." So, um yeah, it's it's not a good situation for anybody. But again, it's funny. We talk about all of these things, and then you try to talk yourself into, "Okay, well, you know, maybe we can turn it around down the stretch or find more wins." And it's like this team is in a bad way right now. It is as bad as it gets. And if they're able to pull out of this tailspin in somewhere in these final six games, I give them all the credit in the world because
0: it's going to be hard to do. Yeah. So you talk about the six more games left. Uh, Got Wednesday at Ohio state. Uh, Then we're home to Wisconsin and Minnesota going to Illinois home for Ohio state and Purdue. Uh, to wrap up the regular season uh Big 10 title or the Big 10 tournament um you know as it stands right now we're sitting at 13th so you know no i'm not worried about uh, trying to get an early round bye we're playing on that uh, on that first night of the Big 10 tournament um but yeah i mean something's got to change down the stretch and you know i especially just you know, is, you know, under 500 now, 12 and 13, the NIT is starting to slip out of our grasp and, you know, we're not playing in no CBI, just we never have. And I, I don't see that happening. So, you know, if, if we want law and pardon to, you know, go out or, I mean, it sure. looks like they're going to be going out with a whimper um, unless something changes here in the last six games. Uh, real quick before we get out of here um, you know last episode we talked a little bit about uh, the new spring Football League the uh, AAF and I wanted to get your guys's early thoughts on on the play and you know kind of what you've seen from this uh, new upstart league I am uh,
2: well so first I'm re- gonna retract my my choosing of the Atlanta uh, whatever the Atlanta whatever they are, um, they suck. And I am all in on Orlando because (laughs) Steve Spurrier is amazing. Uh, his shade game is still top notch and his offense is annihilating people. And it's so much fun to watch. And that's, that's my big takeaway. This is really fun to watch. Um, some of the games have been lackluster, no doubt. Uh, there are, here's a great example. Um, the quarterback for Birmingham is this dude nobody's ever heard of. He taught himself to play quarterback online and working with his brothers. Uh, And then I think played D2 and a couple other things. Anyways, the dude is when you watch him play, he is, he doesn't have, you know, a rocket arm, um, but he's super, super calm and composed in the pocket. He's really accurate. Um, He's, he's still like a hair slow. He's, he's throwing the ball just after uh just just a a hair too late and as a result the window closes right as the ball is arriving but he's on target and all he needs are another couple games uh to get that to get that speed and to get that um uh that anticipation down and you're going to start to see a passing offense emerge uh, on that team that's that's hard to defend and that's i think that's my big takeaway like this is really fun but i'm also i'm looking under the covers a little bit at what this can be and that these teams have the speed and the personnel and the coaches to be really entertaining football teams the execution it's early it's still just it's not quite there yet
1: well t- to your point on the execution um you're it's funny to think about this thinking about coming out of all the big Northwestern recruiting analysis we did uh, toward the end of the season and all the stuff we put up on the website. um, You, you know, I think we would all probably say that the single most difficult and most important position on the field for football is quarterback. But if you wanted to make the argument that it was offensive line, the AAF would be the place to start. Um, They, the rules in AAF, um, are specifically designed to help cover up for the fact that these offensive linemen don't... It, that the quality of the offensive line isn't there and that the cohesiveness unit to unit across the eight teams of the offensive line is not there. And even with those restrictions, which are significant, you can't rush more than five guys and you basically have to declare the five guys Um, you don't formally have to, but everyone who is a down lineman is automatically included in that five and no one who's more than two yards outside of the tackle box or five yards off the line of scrimmage, who's not one of those four can come and you can only bring a max of five, which makes it way easier to see who the rushes, who the rushers are on a passing down. And these lines are still just getting eviscerated. Um, there are a couple, I mean, poor Christian Hackenberg, who's barely, you know, it's not like this guy needs anything else thrown in his way as an obstacle to him being a good quarterback. Uh, but man, you start breathing, uh, linemen down his face. I mean, poor Mike Berkovicke in week one, um, just, th- that guy just got lit up all day off of four man rushes. And, and not only that, but, defensive lo- defensive coordinators the problem with bringing in new rules even if they're intended to help the lines and to help offensive play is it's new for everybody and defensive coordinators have figured out how to game the system really quickly and the way they're gaming the system is you put four linemen down and then you have all of the linebackers make it look for one second like they're covering somebody and then you bring one of them And these offensive linemen are barely hanging on as it is, and they are marking the guys they see rushing off of the snap and ignoring anyone who may come later. And you get these one-man delay blitzes that are lighting these quarterbacks up the offensive linemen are just getting beat left and right and that's it because aside from that it's there's a lot of fun football out there like scud says there are some stars to be found there's some nice running backs a couple receivers have been really impressive um but you also get guys like hackenberg who are these immensely gifted um accuracy you know problems with accuracy quarterbacks and then you're putting them behind these shaky offensive lines and it's just a recipe for a disaster for some of these teams. So I think the best thing the league can do for going forward is sign some of these linemen to long-term deals and try to keep the same lines on the same teams for multiple seasons. Um, and as fun as the game has been so far, I think it'll get exponentially better if they can do that.
0: Have any of the new rules kind of jumped out at you as things that, are, are fun. I mean, oh, I, I, I okay. love the, I, I, I actually don't miss kickoffs at oh. all.
1: I mean a touchdown and then right about when you're like, well, I guess this is when I go up to go to the, no football's still going right now. That's the best feeling. So, you know, like... what's,
2: you know, what's funny is it's really jarring to me. I'm not used to it yet. It like, is what you, like what you just described, John is like, I, I find myself missing like, just the brief anticipation to the kickoff more to start the game, maybe than after a touchdown. But it does feel, I th- I think in the end, I'm going to, I'm going to come around and feel the way you do that. This is, that this is a dramatic improvement. I've also been watching a lot on that. Like, uh, AAF is just, they have their sky cam basically just constantly streaming on their app, which is pretty awesome, but there's no commentary. There's, there's only crowd noise. Um, and you can hear the QBs, which is pretty cool too. Uh, but as a result, like some of the pageantry that comes with the kickoff, I'm missing a little bit, but I do think that that's, I think that's going to go away after time.
0: I, I'm, I, I'm enjoying, you know, hearing the replay official and that's the best that you know, hearing like what the ref and the replay guy are, are, are talking back and forth to each other, that kind of transparency, I, I think is is good. I mean, I, that, that's I tw- something I would not be surprised if the NFL adopted down the road. Because what what's the point of hiding that?
2: Yeah, exactly. When when it's and it's come across so positively for everybody. Now, who knows? Like maybe there's going to be some catastrophic fuck up later on. But actually, I feel like it guards you against that a little bit because these guys know that they're on camera. I mean, that's a different level of of operation for, for the, the guy in the booth as well, I think. Um, but yeah, this is, I think this is an odds on favorite for, for things that the NFL picks up pretty quickly. And if they're smart, they're going to, they're going to use this league as a little bit of a test test market, very much the way the NHL uses, um, minor league hockey to test concepts. They tested the, the different overtime formats and, and other things in that venue first before bringing them to the NHL level. I think that's a nice like side benefit of this league for the NFL is they not just players and coaches and concepts but they can test rules and things there as well so they don't garble stuff
0: horribly like they so often do uh, at the highest level. yeah so after two weeks you've got um, Arizona Orlando and Birmingham sitting at two and0 uh, you've got San Antonio San Diego at one and one and then uh, Salt Lake Memphis and Atlanta at 0 and two. Um, so, you know, that kind of getting things started on that front. Um, cause like you said, the, uh, Orlando teams looked, been really fun. I've been enjoying Arizona. They've been, they've been playing pretty well. Although that, that game against Memphis was kind of a dud in the first half, but they picked up in the second, but that, that Orlando San Antonio game was a lot of fun. Just top to bottom. It was a well-played game. Um, you know, and, Far be it for me to say, you know, a Mike Riley coach team is well played. Um, but that, that was a fun, fun game. Well, and, and the difference is that, uh,
2: th- these two teams are sporting quarterbacks that were starters in college recently. And, yeah. As a result, like Berkovici is what, three or four years maybe removed from college? Um, Hackenberg, at least three or four years removed from college. Um, logan woodside and uh and Garrett Gilbert, at most i think two years out of school and uh and were starters and and played a lot and that matters that that matters a ton for their ability to read the defense and to make quick decisions et cetera et cetera et cetera and I think on top of that, you've got um, certainly in Spurrier a, a, a fantastic coach. Uh, I think I also I think also going into the season, everybody thought those teams had a ton of talent as well. That they just did a really good job of uh, of picking up players. They they also happened to be the teams in Texas and Florida because like, there was what? a bit of like a like there was like some <laughs> regional access to players, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> something to be said for for having access to all the Texas players if you're San Antonio and all the Florida players if you're if you are Orlando but and all the Alabama players
0: if you're Birmingham. Yeah, but but still like I mean in I mean Alabama, like, that that Birmingham team is just chock full of former Crimson Tide.
2: Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. But I I would much rather be in one of those other two spots because oh, yeah. you have no, now for sure. Now you've got a much broader uh broader pool um or deeper pool, I should say. deep and broad. Frankly, uh, but this is th- th- those
0: two teams are what you hope this league can become, right? Oh, for sure. Um, before we get out of here, John, you're working on uh, something else for uh, for the website. Uh, you want to talk about that real quick before we get out of here?
1: Sure. It's funny if you kind of work your way around the Northwestern interwebs these days. What you see um, are a lot of Northwestern recruiting pieces. I don't think we have to work too hard to figure out why that is. Everyone's like sitting around watching hoops going, so how about that 2020 recruiting class? How's that shaping up? Um, I am happy to help the Westlot Pirates add to your um, desire for a diversion right now. Um, we're also going to be taking a look at the 2020 class, um, which again, several people wildcat report has done it recently inside and you has done it recently. Um, but I think the way that we're going to frame our pieces, you know, about this time last year, um, we used some analytics. Um, and I think a lot of you probably remember it to look at, um, mainly kind of positive indicators, especially looking at four star recruits, um, Things you can look at. Does a recruit have a Notre Dame offer? Does he go to a public school? Is he from the state of Illinois? Does he have a Stanford offer? Um, any combination of these things, and exactly, you know, statistically from what we've seen, um, what kind of indicators those can be in terms of projecting. And then we projected all of those things last year on the 2019 class. So, what we'll be doing this week is um, revisiting those players that we kind of highlighted in the 2019 class, looking at what actually happened with those players, and then spinning the same, you know, statistical analysis forward to the 2020 class. And spoiler alert, the 2020 class is as gift-wrapped for Northwestern relative to the overall talent pool as a class could possibly be. So um, it's, it's exciting to look at, and uh, we'll be taking a deeper
0: look this week. So keep on the lookout for that on the website. And with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for this week. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter, at Westlaw Pirates. You can call our voicemail line, 847 231 That's 847-231-CATS. And email the show, westlawpirates, at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially before For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.